If you have your Bible, please take it and turn to Romans chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, then please turn to the end of the pew, and there should be a black Bible down there somewhere at the end. And in that black Bible, it's on page 944. And if you don't have a Bible for yourself, then please just take that one home, keep it. It's our gift to you. We're today in Romans 8, as we've been walking through the book of Romans, and we'll walk through these verses today, verses 14 through 17. Really, we'll be stopping halfway through verse 17 and then picking up the second half of that verse next week. But let's read that together, starting in Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's where we'll stop today, but I'll finish the verse right now. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I think that the best thing that ever happens in a courtroom is an adoption hearing. I don't know if you've ever been to an adoption, but it's just fantastic. On January 21st, 2021, Micah and I got to be the parents who did the adopting, and um, one of the best parts of the pandemic, to me, if that sounds a little weird, but was that courtrooms were closed down so that we got to do it digitally and got to be in here. And so we were just sitting right up here on this platform with a bunch more people joining in on that than would have, would have happened if it were in a courtroom. Uh, and we got to take these kids who were not our children who would then, at the end of that time, would be our children and are now our children in, in every way and for life. And it's an amazing thing to think about. And the greatest privilege that there is is to be adopted by God. That is the greatest privilege that anyone could have, is to be taken from being not God's child to now being a child of God, united to the Son of God by faith, brought into his family with a full inheritance, full love that's not going to stop, steadfast love given to us forever and ever, to be God's child in every way and for all eternity. And that's what this is about. This is a chapter of the Bible that's all about assurance of salvation for believers. Assurance of salvation even if we have sinned, knowing that even if we've sinned, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Assurance of salvation even as we suffer, knowing that even when we suffer as Christians, that there's nothing in all creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And one of the reasons, maybe even the main reason, that all of this is true, that we can have assurance of our salvation, knowing that God will not let us go, is because when God saves someone, he doesn't just hand them salvation like a card. Well, okay, hold on to this get-out-of-jail-free card. He adopts us. He brings us in as his children. His covenant love His contract will not be broken. He's brought us in. He's not going to kick us out. He makes us his children. That's what we have in front of us. So we're going to just walk through these verses, a verse at a time. You might want to follow along in the back of your bulletin to kind of see where we are and which verses and where we're going. But we'll start in verse 14 and just see here 
First of all, something that you need to know just up front, which is that it's only believing Christians who are God's children. Only Christians. And by Christians, I mean the way that God defines a Christian. Someone who has been born again by the Spirit of God to faith in Jesus Christ. They, and they alone, are the children of God. In verse 14, it says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, for one thing, this is part of the context of what came right before that gives us a little bit of relief. If you look at verse 13, if you only read verse 13, you might get pretty scared by it. It says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you read that by itself, you might think to yourself, the way that I have eternal life is by doing good things and by not doing bad things. But here's what it says. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He's clarifying. Here's why we can say verse 13. Here is why verse 13 is the case. That, that all who don't put to death the deeds of the body are headed to hell. And that all who do put to death sin by the Spirit are headed to heaven. Well, the reason is because everybody who is headed to heaven has the Spirit and is brought in as a child of God. He's already said this a couple of different ways in a couple of different places in Romans 8 already, just in this chapter, just back a few verses, back to verse 9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I don't know if you remember that, if you were around a couple of weeks ago when we saw that, but it's pretty plain. Every Christian, the reason you've become a Christian, if you've turned in repentant faith to Jesus, given your heart over to him, well, it's because the Holy Spirit did that work and he has come and he indwells every Christian. Every Christian. Not just some here and there, but every Christian. And back in, in uh, Romans 8, 5, it said, For those who are according to the flesh, who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So he, he's been saying all through here, there is a, there's a division between what we were before and what we are now, and between those who are outside of Christ and those who are inside of Christ. And here's what it looks like, and the way that it's kind of being focused on in Romans 8 is, when you come to Christ, you're no longer driven and controlled by the things of the flesh. You're no longer driven and controlled by the desires that you would have for worldly things and the treasures that you would have in this world. You're now storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. You know that your true reward and your true joy is hidden away in Christ with God in heaven. And you want to be driven by the Spirit and not all about worldly thinking and worldly things and fleshly things. But it's just those who know Christ have the Holy Spirit. And, and when it says led by the Spirit, well, that, that's what we need to be thinking of. Some, some would say, oh, well, being led by the Spirit, well, that, that, that must mean that it's those who have like just this special, super-Christian kind of a way of detecting the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Those are the ones who can be guaranteed that they're sons of God. 
Well, no, that's not what it's talking about. And if that's your way of thinking about your relationship with God, you just need to know that that can go wrong really easily because what you're attributing to the Holy Spirit could just as well be your own heart, which is deceitful, what the Bible says. I'll just give you one example of this. I, I, this was at a, another church in another state far away from here. Um, I had a couple come to my office and I had met one of them at a church event that we had done. Um, they weren't part of our church, but they came to my office because the pastor that they had wanted to marry them said no. And so they came to me as, a, as another guy that they had met before. And they said to me, well, we know that we need to get married because we are both prophets. And God has told both of us that we need to get married to each other. And I started talking to them a little bit, and there were some pretty big, obvious reasons why they should not get married. I'm not going to get into that, but here you are with these people saying, well, because we are prophets, because we are so super skilled at detecting the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we know that we ought to do this thing that by any other measure, according to the Scripture and according to just plain wisdom, we ought not to do. Well... See, you've got there a problem. If you're thinking to yourself, being led by the Holy Spirit is just this sort of like weird tug about which decisions to make. Well, for one thing, you don't quite get the internal leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, But you also need to know that that's not what this verse is about. When it says here in verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God, here's, here's what this means. All who have the Holy Spirit as their leader instead of having the flesh as their leader. You see? This is not about detecting little things in your heart. This is about what is governing the direction of your life and your soul. If you're being governed in the direction of your life and your soul by worldly concerns, by the flesh, by the desires of the flesh, well, then you're not being led by the Spirit. But if you've come to faith in Jesus, you are being led by the Spirit. You've come to Jesus as Lord, and the Lord Jesus has given you the Spirit of Christ, who is your leader, who is your leader. So I just want to cover, I was just going to list from, I think it was two weeks ago, September 13th, or 11th, September 11th, that's when it was, um, I listed out several things that the Holy Spirit can show us. Here's just some things to look at in your own heart to see, am I actually a Christian? Do I actually have the Holy Spirit living in me? Does the Holy Spirit lead me according to the way that the Scripture says? And here's what we said. If you want to know all of the Scripture references and explanations for these things, I'll let you go back online and listen to the sermon from September 11th, but I'll just tell you what they were. If you are led by the Spirit, which means that you are a Christian by God's definition, then you will believe in Christ as Savior, and in that belief you will repent of sin. That's what it looks like most basically to be born of the Spirit, that you turn from love of sin and darkness to love of Christ in the light. If you, love, if you are led by the Spirit, then you're going to just not, not just believe in Jesus as Savior, but you're going to love Jesus as Savior because the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. You're going to love God the Father as Father, as it's about to say in verse 15, that we cry out by the Spirit, Abba, Father. 
as the one who's adopted us. You're going to love, if you have the Holy Spirit and you are a Christian, you're going to love the Bible. It's going to resonate with you as words that were spoken from God as, as these men were carried along by the Holy Spirit in writing the Bible. If you have the Holy Spirit and you're led by the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christian, you're going to love the church. Not necessarily every individual organization that calls itself a church, but you're going to love God's people, the church, because the church is being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. You're going to love holiness if you have the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit, right? And if you have the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christian, then the fruit of the Spirit is going to be growing in you. Not necessarily fully formed, but growing in you. The, Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to want to share the gospel with the lost. You're going to want to do it. You're going to, going to want to open your mouth to tell people about Christ because it says in Acts 1.8, you will receive the Holy Spirit, or you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You hear that? So, it's part of, I mean, th- those are just m- marks of being a Christian, marks of being a Christian, but here's what it says. For those who are Christians, for those who have the Holy Spirit as their leader, rather than having the flesh as their leader, here's the truth about us. All who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now, there's an issue here that we need to get into, which is that there are a lot of people out there, and I know you've heard this. You might have even heard this today from somewhere. I don't know. Who would say that everyone, everywhere, is a child of God. That there is a universal fatherhood of God and a universal brotherhood of man. That's not true. It sounds very good. And in some ways, it kind of, it's kind of catchy because it gets at the idea that is true, which is that we ought to love our neighbor, right? We ought not to hate our enemies, but love our enemies, as Jesus said. That's absolutely the case. But God does not say that everybody in the world is his children. There's one verse that sounds kind of like that in Acts 17, where it talks about everyone being God's offspring, just in the sense of the fact that God created everyone. And that's the case, definitely. But listen to this. If, if everyone were a child of God, how could the Bible say this? Revelation 21, verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Do you see what God just said right there? He said that there are some who are his children, and that there are some who are not, who will burn eternally in the lake of fire. He was very kind of, you know, graphic about this here. Another way that it's put, Matthew 7.23, Jesus is talking about some who would who on the day of judgment would would want to say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and all these things in your name? And he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Does that sound like a child? 
Would you say to your child, I never knew you? He said, I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. By the way, what that is, that's not people who um, really, really were trusting in Jesus and then find out all along, oh man, it didn't work. (laughs) It didn't click for me somehow. It's people who are trusting in their own works, who are trusting that if they did enough Jesus-y things, that he'd let them into heaven. And that's not the case. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a Christian is somebody that the Lord knows. Somebody that the Lord has given life to by his spirit to repent, to believe in Christ, not to trust in their works, not to trust in all these things you did in the name of Jesus, but to trust in Jesus. So being a child of God is not just about being a human that was created by God. It's, It's not even being... Uh, just a human who claims the name of God and to do things in God's name. It is about God receiving you in, adopting you, knowing you. Just uh, imagine that you do lots and lots of work for a politician. Just, just imagine that there's some politician that you just decide is just the greatest. You want to do everything you can to get them elected president. And you're going to go out and you're going to put out as many thousands of yard signs as you possibly can to get that politician elected. And then they get elected. And they're in the White House. And you are so glad. And because of that, you show up to the White House on December 24th. And you say, I need to be let in for Christmas dinner around the president's table because I did so many things for him. He doesn't know you. <laughs> you, you. You can think he's great. You can do all kinds of things in his name, but you're not part of his family just because you did a bunch of stuff. But if somebody's adopted as his child, they'll be there. They'll be there. You, you can come to God and you can say, well, you made me. I'm your child. You can say, well, I said that I know you. I prayed all the time. Lots of lost people tell me that, that they pray all the time. I, I, I tried to do all kinds of good things. Might even say I, I was a member of a church. I did lots of things explicitly in the name of Jesus that I could put on my Jesus resume. That doesn't make you a child of God. It's those who are led by the Spirit. Those who have been born not only of the flesh but of the Spirit who are children of God, who come to Jesus in humble, loving, repentant faith in him alone and not in anything about ourselves, not in the idea of, well, I can make it in, but God has known me. God has done this for me. God has sent his spirit. And here's what some of the, the Pharisees said to Jesus as Jesus was talking to them about who their father was in John eight forty one, They said, we have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not from my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Jesus certainly didn't believe in the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. Jesus taught us that we are born as children of the devil. 
You can't be born a child of God. You must be born again. But if God has made you born again, you are. You are taken in. You are filled with the Spirit. You are indwelt with the Spirit. You are led by the Spirit, and you are a child of God. So there's bad news for unbelievers here, which is that you are not a child of God. But there's also good news, which is that God is open and willing and loving, and he brings people in by grace, and he opens up the offer, and he says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He invites people in, and I want to I just extend that invitation to you right now. I invite you to come into the family of God. Come to Jesus, repent, believe, come in. If you do that, it's because God has adopted you and he's doing this work. And as believers, here's some good news that we need to to go to and rejoice in. 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Through faith. John 14, 18, Jesus said to us, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And Romans 9, 25, as it says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. That's a privilege right there. That is a privilege. He gives us, according to verse 15, adoption as sons rather than fear as slaves. Look at verse 15. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Just pause right there. We'll get to the end of that verse in the next point. But he says, on the one hand, there's the spirit of slavery and fear. On the other hand, there's the spirit of adoption of sons. What's that spirit of slavery and fear? Well, it's it's the old. It's the old. It's the covenant of works. It's the idea that I could be good enough that God would accept me. That is slavery. That is the spirit of slavery and sin and death. That's the spirit that says, I hope that one day... God will decide that I am good enough and that he will let me into heaven. I hope that when I die, I will find out that I did a good enough job. You won't. You didn't. You can't. The only place that that leads is the wages of sin, which is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We have to receive eternal life not as a wage, but as a free gift. If we're in that that spirit of slavery, of I hope that I can serve God well enough, you're lost. But when God the Holy Spirit comes and brings us to Jesus in faith, we're out from under that yoke of slavery. You're, You're no longer in a position of saying, I hope I perform well enough for God the judge to accept my performance. That's not the relationship that we have with God in Christ. In Christ, we have the relationship of adopted children, of adopted sons of God, the spirit of adoption. Back 
Before we knew Christ, we had a spirit of fear. It said back in Second Timothy one seven, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but now of power and love and self control. It says in First John four eighteen, for there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, of course, we are to fear God. There's commands about that. If you look in the Bible, there's verses that say, you absolutely should fear God. Don't fear man, fear God alone, those sorts of things. But those commands to us as Christians are not saying, fear that he might actually condemn you. Fear that he might actually condemn you is the fear that is driven out by love. It's driven out by God's love for us, poured out on the cross and applied to us by the Holy Spirit when we believe. And as those who've come to Jesus in faith, we can have this relationship where we no longer fear, well, I might not please him just right. I might get thrown out. But now to know I'm already in. I'm already in. I don't have to have that fear at all, at all. I want to read you just an extended passage in Galatians because Paul talks about this really briefly here in Romans, about this former spirit of fear and slavery and now the spirit of adoption. But he he talks about it longer in Galatians. So I'm just going to read you this. Are you ready? If you want, you can go there. Galatians 3.23 is where I'm starting. It's just a few pages to the right in your Bible. He says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from the slave, though he is the the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. See, we were once in that position, even as those that Jesus had died for, elect from before the foundation of the world, we were under a position of slavery until faith came, until he adopted us in. And now we can put that away and we can say, God has brought me in. I am his child. I have an inheritance that is mine forever. I have the spirit of God crying out, the spirit of Christ crying out to the Father of Christ, Abba, Father. It says in Ephesians 1.5, just this beauty of God's willingness to take rebels, sinners. Remember this too, right? When we were orphans, as, as Jesus put it, when we were outside as orphans, that word, I think, tends to stir up a feeling of, of like, you know, this perfect angelic child, 
who, who's have down on his luck. We were orphans because we were rebels against God. We, we had absolutely detested the God who made us. We were sinners against him. We stood as his enemies on our part. God has such amazing love that when he adopts his children, he, ta- he takes them from among his enemies. He takes, them, he takes sinners, and, and he gives us new hearts, and he brings us in, and he calls us saints. And he puts a spirit within us to, to love him and to know him. And it says in Ephesians 1.5, just the, the beauty of this, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Or in 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we, I, I just want to emphasize that word, we, we, we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's amazing. That's amazing. And when God adopts us in the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, he takes us in, he takes us in permanently. And when we're in that position, we're no longer trying to be accepted. We're no longer interacting with God as a judge to be persuaded. We now already are accepted, and we're interacting with God as a loving Father to be enjoyed. That's the difference there between the spirit of fear and the spirit of adoption as sons. And the Holy Spirit who's in us, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of Christ, the spirit who gives us life, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, all these ways that the Holy Spirit is referred to here in Romans 8, this spirit is testifying within our hearts about our adoption, about our position of being right with God and being his children. Look at the end of verse 15 into verse 16. It says, This spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What this is talking about, this is talking about an internal witness of the Spirit in our hearts. The Spirit also has all kinds of external witness, especially the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. And regardless of where your heart is, the Bible's going to stand. But as we've come to Christ, he also bears witness in our hearts. This is an emotional thing, all right? It's talking about crying out. This is not, you know, writing a paper. This is crying out. Now, I suppose you could write a paper out of, out of, out of that love and emotion toward God as well, but you get what I'm saying here, right? This is a, a thing where you don't just come to God in this kind of like blank, emotionless, pure, you know, just pure blank reason kind of a way. You come to God in this joyful faith where he wakes up our hearts, right? It's not just saying, well, I affirm that these facts are true because the devil does that too. He's a better theologian than you are. But he hates Jesus. When we come to God in Christ, when we're adopted in, the Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts where we cry out in love to God our Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Now, we, we don't want to let emotions cloud the truth. You know, we're, we're not going to get a, a fog machine in here. You know, we're not going to start doing this thing where we, you know, 
sleep-deprived teenagers and make them sing power ballads, and then if they raise their hand, we say that they've come to Jesus. We're, we're not going to do it that way. All right? We're, we're not going to let emotion crowd out the truth. But here, here's the thing. When the truth comes to the human heart by the Holy Spirit, it's emotional. And it's beautiful. And, and, and you can't come to Christ unemotionally. We cry out to God from our hearts. When we cry out, it's from the Holy Spirit. We are crying out in joy and in love toward God. Now, just think about that. Think about who's doing this and where it's going to. And it, it, it kind of tells you something amazing about God because the Holy Spirit is God, and he's working in our hearts to cause us to cry out to God in love and in enjoyment. You know what's happening there? What's happening there is God is enjoying God through our enjoyment of God. Isn't that amazing? This is all to the glory of God, and it's beautiful. That's why I love that, that line from John Piper that's probably his most famous line, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It, it, it's a beautiful thing to not just say, yes, I affirm that these things are true, but say, I delight in this God. I love to glorify this God, and God is glorified in that, and he's working it in us, and it's, it, it's just this beautiful loop that resounds to the glory of God who is great. I, I want to know, what, what do you cry out about? What, what, what do you... I know that there's stuff you cry out about. You, you, might, you might just sit in church with a blank face every Sunday and then never talk to anybody when you leave. And you, you might think to yourself, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to take this solemnly. But I know that there's something in your life where you're, you're just you're crazy about it and you're crying out. I don't know if it's your, your favorite team. I don't know if it's your favorite band. I don't know if it's your favorite place to go in nature. All kinds of things that we can cry out about. Maybe your favorite artist. But guys, we know. We know this. When we absolutely love and adore something, it makes us want to shout about it. It makes, us, it makes our hearts kind of rise and fly and cry out. That's what it's saying. God makes for himself true worshipers, true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And we cry out, Abba, Father. Now these words, we've got to know what the words mean. When it says, Abba, Father, that's... It could be kind of a weird thing. You know, are, are we crying out to some Scandinavian 70s band? No. Where does that word Abba come from? Well, there's, you've probably heard before that it's a whole lot like saying dad or daddy, and they're, they're, that's not absolutely off track, but it's not quite what it is either. It's, it's, it's two different languages here, okay? So you've got Abba, which is the Aramaic word, and then father, well, that's the English word, but it was the Greek word here, okay? Um, but what he's doing here, more than just saying, you know, you're going to use a, a, a familiar term of address for God, like dad or something like that, he's using the language of Jesus. That, that's the main thing that's, that's happening when the Bible says that our hearts will cry out, Abba, Father. He's quoting our Lord in his earthly ministry in the way that Jesus referred to God the Father. You, you may or may not know that Jesus probably mainly spoke Aramaic 
in his daily speech. And, and when he referred to God as Father all the time, it, you can read through the four Gospels and just see that seemed weird to people. It seemed awfully strange that he was calling God Father personally. And we even have in Mark 14, 36, he said to God, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. What's happening here is is that this is saying that as those who have been adopted in Christ, as those who have been united to Christ instead of being united to Adam, those who are now clothed in Christ, those who are indwelt with the Spirit of Christ, we now have a relationship with the Father of Christ as our Father. That's what he's getting across here. He's saying, as bizarre as it sounded to people when Jesus came speaking about God as his Father, when you're united to Jesus, you now have the Father of Jesus as your Father. Now that does not mean that you then become the second person of the Trinity together with Jesus. It doesn't mean the Mormon theology thing that now you're in the same position such that you will go have your own planet to go be the savior of one day or something like that. So don't, don't, you know, don't take this into heresy like they have, all right? But what it does mean is that when we've been brought into Christ, what's Christ's is ours. What's ours is Christ's. We are now in this position where we can say, as it said in Galatians 4, 6, I read that to you a minute ago, but because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. You hear that? He has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The same way that Jesus cried to his father, we now cry to the same father as our father in Christ. Martin Luther said this. He said, Abba is but a little word, and yet it comprehends all things. The mouth does not speak, but the affection of the heart speaks after this manner. Although I may be oppressed with anguish and terror on every side and seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from your presence, yet I am your child and you are my father for Christ's sake. I am beloved because of the beloved. So this little word father conceived effectually in the heart passes all the eloquence of Demosthenes, Cicero, and of the most eloquent rhetoricians that ever were in the world. And as those who have God as our Father through the spirit of adoption, the spirit of Christ, we are now fellow heirs with Christ. Look at verse 17. It says this, If we are children, if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. We'll save that for next week, all right? Save that for next week. But if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. This is is related to that Abba language. We've been brought in. The father of Jesus is now the father of Bob. The father of whoever it is in here. Sorry to call you out, Bob. He's going to tell me about that later, all right? Um, But whoever it is, God has become your father, the same father of Jesus, and we now, in Christ, we're not slaves any longer, but we're sons. We're an heir through God. When the Bible uses that language in Galatians 3 and 4 about being sons, or he even uses it here as well, that we are sons of God, the reason it says sons in some places, as opposed to just children, 
has to do with the fact that sons were the ones that got an inheritance. If you were a daughter in those days, there might be some daughters that got some inheritance. But the idea was you're going to give the inheritance to your sons, especially to the firstborn son. So when it says there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, all of those things, but we are all now sons of God in Christ, what it's getting at is that when we come to faith in Jesus, you are equally united to Jesus, and you are a fellow heir with Christ. No matter what your background is, no matter what your position in this world is, that when we come to Christ, we are now sons of God in Christ with the full inheritance for all eternity. What is that inheritance? Let me just read you a few verses about what it is. And I think it's hard to wrap our minds around, but it says in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hmm. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is another way to put that. He says in James 2, 5, that we are heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. Or in 1 Peter 1, 4 and 5, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kingdom of Christ, this inheritance in Jesus who's in heaven. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Guys, don't get distracted by the stuff of this world. Don't, don't set your minds and your eyes. Don't let, don't let the light of your body, which is your eye, turn toward darkness. Keep it on Christ. Keep it on heaven. That's where your inheritance is. And it's so much better that you, you can't even describe it. No ear has heard, no heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let me give you a little hint of what it is that he's talking about. And, and I think we betray sometimes that we don't understand the beauty of the inheritance that we have in Christ when we talk about heaven in worldly terms. When we say, well, heaven is going to be the place where I finally get to, to write the perfect rock and roll song that I've been trying to write for 20 years. Or heaven is the place where I will finally see my grandmother again, which will be a beautiful thing. I don't want to diminish how great that is. But do you know what Jesus says about it? You know what Jesus prays that we will have in heaven? He says this, John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, that's adoption, may be with me where I am. And here's where he says, here's an inheritance. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's what we're about, guys. We want to we see and enjoy and rejoice in the glory of God in Christ. That's our inheritance. If that sounds really dull to you, I invite you to repent and to believe. Come to Jesus in faith. Know that he is the treasure that we have stored up for us in heaven. Be received by God in adoption. Let the Holy Spirit come and transform you so that you now are no longer led by the flesh, but led by the Spirit and have a Spirit of Christ in you 
crying out, Abba, Father, and treasuring him. You know who this goes to? Revelation 21.7, to the one who conquers. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. By conquer, he doesn't mean go out and kill people. If you want to know what he means by conquer, well, you, you can read the book of Revelation, and instead of trying to put it together like a puzzle, you can read it like an encouragement to Christians, which is what it is. All the way from the beginning to the end and the letters to the seven churches that, hey, stand firm in the faith. As there will be all of these things that try to distract you, try to drag you down into the sexual immorality of the great prostitute and into the, uh, you know, into, into the worship of the beast and all these things. You know what that is? That is spiritual warfare where Satan desperately wants you not to conquer Not to stand in the day of Christ, but he says, stand firm. Keep your eyes on heaven. Keep your eyes on Christ. Know that you have God as your father. And he will give you this heritage. You will be his, he will be your God, and he will be my son. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what we have in Jesus. Lord, you have adopted us as sons with a full inheritance for all who have come to Christ in, in faith and repentance that's brought about by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that if there are those who are still today in the position of slaves, orphans, enemies, all of these descriptors of those who are outside of Christ in their sin, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd bring them in right now. <clears throat> Lord, turn them away from the things of this world Turn them away from being driven by the flesh. Show them the beauty of Jesus and his blood sacrifice on the cross for our sins, his resurrection and his life, and I pray that you'd give them that life. But God, I pray for those of us who are in Christ, I pray that by the Holy Spirit that you would make our, our, our spirits cry out more and more, Abba, Father, as the Spirit would bear witness with our spirits that we are children of God. God, just enjoy your own glory in us as we enjoy you for your own sake. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together if you're able to, and we'll respond to God's word with one last hymn.
Um, just one reminder that we have Matawan Day on Saturday, and we would love to have some helpers for all or part of the afternoon, and there's a sign-up right over there. Please read the announcements in your bulletin. Um, but uh, we're going to pray as we go, and if the Lord's working in your heart, love to talk to you about that, but let's pray. God, I pray that you would, Lord, encourage us in your grace, encourage us in the position that we have in Christ as adopted children, and help us in that encouragement to go, to love you, to serve you, to love and to serve our neighbor. God, I pray that uh, as we've been given grace, that you would give us grace, that you'd give us the grace to, Lord, to care for the widow and the orphan as you've cared for us as well. Lord, there's just so much here for us, but more than anything else, it is your love for us poured out in Christ and applied by the Holy Spirit. Help us to live and walk in that love. In Jesus' name, amen.